0: morning, church. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We'll be looking at Colossians 2, beginning verse 16, in just a moment. If you're visiting, uh, as Kenny said earlier, there's a bunch of us that have the privilege of being on staff here, and I'm one of the ministers. My name's Mark. and uh, you joined us in this series called "Enough," as Isaac explained a little bit earlier. We're studying the book of Colossians because after spending two years studying the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we looked at that chronologically. Just felt it was very important to sample from the early church how the early church saw Jesus and what they did with who he was. And we've called this enough because the theme of Paul's writings to this particular church is that Jesus is what you need and what you're looking for. And if you will give yourself by faith to that, he will reveal himself and fulfill what you're, you're spending your life trying to find. In week one, uh, we were told that we need to remind ourselves of what we signed up for and remind ourselves who we've committed ourselves to. And when we get these things figured out and we get a foundation based on who we're trusting, uh, it allows us the opportunity to continue to grow. Paul told the Colossians church that your faith and your love are seen. But there were questions about what they were putting their hope in. Because false teachers had come in and were leading them astray and uh, giving them things to add to Jesus. And Paul cautioned them, that's the biggest mistake you'll make. So remember what you signed up for and remember who you committed to. And we talked in week two about our our self-management and image, how we like to portray ourselves, what we want people to think of us. And and Paul taught us that if we build our identity on what people think of us, it's going to become skewed. But if we build our identity on who Jesus is and what he sees in us, it'll give us eternal life. Last week, we looked at uh, the concept of Jesus plus anything is idolatry. Whenever we feel like we need more than Jesus, we've misunderstood who he is and why we're here. And then we talked about what Jesus gifts those of us who understand that there's more to life than what we're accepting. And talked about new life in him, salvation, redemption, not only forgiveness of sins, but walking in this new existence. And so uh, I said this last week, and I don't want to be redundant, but I think it's important, especially to catch up those that may not have been able to be here. Uh, And this sounds a little bit, uh, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant. It's just a conviction of mine. This is not a sermon series I want you to think about. This is a sermon series I want you to trust. If we don't get Jesus right, none of our theology makes any sense. If we don't get Jesus right, none of our sacrifices are going to matter. It always will come down to who Jesus is and why we do anything we do. And this is a warning letter Uh, If I can be direct and honest, it's a warning letter that, and I don't like to be warned. I I don't know if it's just male pride or if it's just hard being me, but I hate when people tell me to have to do something. Can I have an amen if you're out there in this? And I notice all the guys are like, yeah, and the wives are looking, at you better amen. Someone says, Mark, you got to see this movie. I'm not seeing the movie. You got to read this book. I don't have to do anything but die and pay taxes. Those are the only two things I really have to do. And so I hate being told what to do, and that's not good. I'm not saying that's the way to live. Don't be me. But I struggle with this. And when I read Paul's letter, he's warning me. He's telling me not to do some things, and he's telling me to do some other things. And if I don't soften my heart, this letter can be something I think about instead of experience. And I think Jesus wants more for us than that. As I said last week, Paul warned us about false teachers, making sure that the teacher knows who Jesus is before he tries to give you any knowledge. And today he offers us two warnings. Let's begin with the first one. The warning to stay free in Jesus. What Paul talked about in the first chapter was our freedom in Christ by grace and by his mercy and his kindness. He has made us free from our sins, free from our past, and gives us freedom into a bright future. So in light of all of that, there's three things that he warns us of. And we'll be brief, but the three things are this. You are free from legalism. Don't go back to it. Verses 16 and 17. Therefore, pause, I know this is a little bit childish, but it's important for us to remember, whenever Paul writes therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? You can't understand what Paul's about to talk about if you disconnect it from what he's already said. And so I've been saying this all three services, and I want to continue to challenge you. I would ask you to read the book of Colossians, it's its entirety in one setting every week, if not every day. Because Paul did not write it in stops and starts. He didn't write it in 15 verse chunks. I don't know that Paul wanted this letter broken down over six weeks. He wrote one message to one church, tying it all together. And my fear is, if you're only getting a 28-minute snapshot every, once every six weeks, that you're going to think these are self-contained units, and they're not. Paul is writing to a group of people one fluid thought. It's like one good practice. Coach starts you at the beginning. He gets you to the end. He's tried to teach you everything in any drill. That's what we need to see when we read the letter to Colossians. And Paul says, Therefore, because of everything I've told you about Jesus and what he offers you, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Legalism. I would assume in an audience this large that many of us were raised in churches that bordered on legalistic. Why? Because in legalism, I can help you control yourself. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. And for many of us, the legalism is what we want. We don't want to have to have a real relationship. We want a to-do list. And if I do the to-do things, can I go do the things I want to do? That's what legalism says. And many churches are founded on a legalistic standpoint. Well, you know, if you play cards or go to movies or do these things, then you really don't love Jesus. And Paul says, don't don't let anybody take you captive into legalism. Because it's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing whatever you're doing that matters. It's living in that hope. See, legalism works for us because it helps us measure our spiritual growth. Well, I used to drink, and now I don't drink. I must be better. And the problem with measuring your spiritual growth is who are you measuring it against? Are you measuring it against another person in this room? Because you're probably better than most people in this room, but that doesn't mean you're good. I was telling him in the back room between first and second service, my daddy used to always say, because I'd say, "Well, my friends are doing this." He said, "Yeah, but you hang out with idiots." <laughs> so if you're better than the idiots you hang out with, so what? Paul says we're to measure ourselves against Jesus Christ, not against people that we feel better than. So the challenge of legalism is not to measure yourself by worldly standard of what looks good, but measure it by who is good. Because I think it's crystal clear in Scripture, Jesus didn't die on the cross and then need us to do anything. He died on the cross so we wouldn't need anything but him. Secondly, you're to be free from mysticism. And this is very probably... I think legalism in the American Church is fading away, yay? But this new part comes in. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We live in a world that wants experiences. I want feelings, I want emotions, I want to be moved in my heart. And Paul says, be very, very careful when people are telling you. And, and if there still are bookstores that exist, I can take you into bookstores and I can show you whole sections of self-help and psychology and all of these things that say, if you'll pray this prayer over and over, you'll chant this chant, you'll have this experience. If, if you do these things, you can raise yourself up into a spiritual plane of existence far above the earth. And Paul says, be very careful. The only thing that can draw you closer to God is Jesus. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a high. And he says, be careful of those who base their whole experience of who they are based on what they feel and what they can contribute to. Instead, you've disconnected yourself from the head, which moves the entire body. Be willing to be in submission to the head. Because Paul would tell the church of Corinth in his second letter that Satan knows how to give you a counterfeit experience. Did you guys get that? If what you want is a feeling, Satan has a master's degree in making us feel, but he has no ability to make us become. And so Paul says, be careful about being all mystical and falling into this feelings and notions because the idle mind can convince itself of many things. And so in preparing for this study since about December when I started looking at the reading through Colossians every week and trying to study it and pull out what God seemed to be saying to me in that moment, I noticed something when I looked in the book of Acts. And I just offer this as a pastoral caution. If you study people that drew closer to God if you want evidence of what a life looks like that draws closer to God, you'll notice that when someone is really drawn spiritually closer and closer to the throne of our God, they submit more and serve more. They don't feel more and have more power. I want to say that again. When you draw close to God, you will submit more deeply to Him in loving obedience, and you will serve more in loving obedience rather than have a feeling or a reaction Because the world says, no, if you don't feel Jesus, he must not be real. And Jesus said, no, come fall into me and you'll feel all you've ever wanted. So he said, don't fall into legalism and don't fall into feelings and mysticism. Thirdly, he tells us that we're free from pious self-denial. And this is common today. If you have any luxury in your life or you have any good experience, you should feel horrible. Christianity should stink. You should give up everything and suffer. Well, listen, I think the suffering comes to us. I don't think you have to go recruit it. But for some people, they make it, I lived in a cave, I ate nothing but bread, I drank nothing but water, I love Jesus more than you. Paul said, don't buy that. That's not always what everyone's called to. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though do you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules like do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, do not touch? These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Paul just tells us something amazing here. He says that, that Paul's not saying that you shouldn't have physical discipline in your life. He said, no, physical discipline has some value, but godly discipline has greater value. So Paul's not saying, just go live a lavish life and do whatever you want. He says, no, no, that's not what I'm saying to you. But if you'll notice, legalism and mysticism and piety are all things we do to impress one another. That's not impressing God. It's why we do anything we do. That is the question of faith. Are you denying yourself certain foods and certain drinks and certain things because you want people to think you're a certain person? Or are you living that way because you feel conviction? See, Paul said there's meat sacrificed to idols and there's meat that's not been sacrificed to idols. And it really doesn't matter what it's been sacrificed to, but what your conscience does in your relationship to the Lord. So what Paul has done is he has absolutely dispelled all the outward signs of measuring yourself to and against man. Because I was looking up some scripture because I needed to hear it this week. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Can I have an amen? My favorite verse is 1 Timothy 4, 3, that food has been created to be received with thanksgiving, and I say amen. And at five o'clock tonight, I'm going to worship with a plate of hot wings and a football game, amen. And I have no shame, because God gave me those wings to enjoy. Chickens miss them, I love them, it's a good thing. So don't walk out of here going, well, it's what I eat or what I touch or what I don't, no, no, no. Live your life in the presence of an audience of one, and he will direct you. And let the voices of the people chirping around you, let them chirp. Paul says we don't live to please men, we live to please our king. Now the second warning becomes far more personal. The first warning was about our public image. The second one is one about who we really are in the dark. And this is a passage that's going to require from us an understanding. You see, Paul warns us that it does little, little if Christians declare and defend the truth, but they don't demonstrate it. He said to Titus, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. So, Mark, you just told us that it doesn't matter all the things we do, it's who we live for. And you're correct. I did say that. And I'm not contradicting it by moving to the second point. Because you have to understand your behavior demonstrates your real belief. It's not perfection, but your behavior demonstrates your real belief. If we believe Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the sole authority, the creator of all heavens and earth, the one who by his words and by his thoughts all things were brought into existence, if I believe that to be true, then when he warns me about something, I should pay attention. It's not a debatable issue. It's not Jesus saying, do it because I told you so. He said, do it because I love you and I care desperately about you. That's what he calls us to. But you see, in Paul's day, religious pursuit you could live however you wanted as long as you made the right sacrifice. And then you could go back to living. You, you, could, you could sacrifice for heaven and live like hell. It was common in those days. And Paul was teaching these people, intermixing with pagan religions, that no, your behavior demonstrates your real belief. And holds on to that. So I'm going to give you some little devotional thoughts that I've drawn from this text because it helps me understand it. Live your new reality, not your fatality. I didn't mean that to Ryan, but I thought it was pretty cool. And many of us, this is what we're struggling with. I know I am. So I bring you all into my world. I think some of us in this room are struggling with this. And it looks different for every one of us. It is for some of us, and I'm, I'm not pulling this out because it's bad or good. Or it, I'm just pulling it out because it comes to mind. I know some people that have been freed from addictions in this church. They've been freed by the power of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. And let's say this person has a struggle with alcohol, and they they could not control alcohol, alcohol began to control them, and so they have chosen, by the freedom they have in Jesus, to rid themselves of that. And some people go, well, I can have a drink. Well, this person says, I can't, and I won't. But if that person would walk around the rest of their days holding a bottle to remind themselves of where they've been, to always have it available so that they can prove that they're away from it, Paul says, don't do that. Rid yourself completely of it. Walk away from it. Put it away because it it, it did not do you good and you don't need it in your life. Walk in the newness. Don't live, live right now in your new reality. Don't live in your old fatality. Don't let Satan remind you that you've had addiction problems or you've been in relationships you shouldn't have been in. Don't let Satan draw you back into that. You are new in Christ, live like it. But to live like that, you have to put the old life to death. Paul says it this way in chapter three. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And he walks us through four realities. They're conditional. If we, then God will. So for people that think, well, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to respond to God. No, no, no. there's conditions in scripture. It's called faith. Faith. If we walk by faith we will be receive sight and understanding and life. So Paul says if we died with Christ and notice none of this can be done independently. If we die with Christ verse 3 we are raised with him. Well how do we do that? Well verses 1 and 2 tell us that we are to set our hearts and set our minds. It takes response. It takes a choice. We have to enter into this new thing. If we died with Christ, we will be raised with him. If we are raised with him, then we are hidden in Christ. What does it mean to be hidden in Christ? The image of baptism is Paul's depiction of this. That we are lowered into the water, burying our old lives, being cleansed by the water, and coming out of the watery grave to walk in newness of life. That's what the symbolism of baptism is. That's why we encourage every one of you To make your own choice, to publicly proclaim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, to allow Him to wash you clean and walk in the hope of that new life. That's to be hidden with Christ. And if we're hidden with Him and we're born again, then we live new lives in Him. I read a commentator who said, Life is what you come alive to. What does that mean? That means every one of us, there's something that brings us to life. I love college football. I grieve when the final bowl game is over. Cuz I know it's going to be another 9 months before I get to spend Saturdays laying on the couch eating again and watching my favorite sport. And I come alive on Saturdays. I look forward to games. I don't even care if it's a Notre Dame game, if it's a good college football game. I plan the whole day around it. And you go, "You know, judge me if you want. I love it." I love baseball. I love ice cream. <laughs> I have had a 48-year affair with red licorice. I'm in love. But truthfully, when I come alive to things that are temporary, Paul warns me about that, doesn't he? He says, be careful. Jordan Howerton did me one of the best favors a guy could ever do. Uh, Braden, when he was five years old, was going to his first baseball game. And Heather and I had to be at an event. And we, and we really needed to be there. And it broke my heart because I was his coach. So his first baseball game, I didn't get to see him play. And nobody is more passionate about playing sports than our Braden. And Jordan did the most phenomenal thing. I asked him, could you take B to his first game? And he said, yeah. And when they were in the car, he had Braden in the car seat in the back of his car, and Jordan turned his phone on and recorded the conversation they had on the way to the ballgame. It's one of the most precious recordings I have. Because here's my five-year-old son in the back saying things to Jordan like, oh, I can't wait to get in a dugout. I'm gonna be in my own dugout with my own teammates, and I get to have my own at bat, and it just fills my heart. My son comes alive with life. And what... Paul is saying is if your life is buried with Jesus you will rise to new life in him he will become your passion and some of you are going i don't feel it remember what we said do you think Jesus can bring you life then trust him and he will make you alive it's what we're passionate about and Jesus will change your appetites you don't have to do it he will he'll make the sweet things of this world real bitter in reality to eternity Jesus can do that. And then Paul says, if we're made alive with him, we will be glorified with Christ. In the book of Ephesians, he calls us joint heirs. It's an interesting term. Translated, whatever Jesus gets from God, you're gonna get from God. That's good news, church. When when God rewards Jesus for his sacrifice for us, we are all recipients of that reward. That's what it means to be united with him. And then Paul says, seek the things which are above. Use your head and your heart to focus on the things that matter. He tells us to live beyond our present idolatry. Live live beyond the empty idolatry that's in front of all of us. And this is where Paul steps from the ethereal to the real. And here we go. Put to death. That's how serious this is. He says, don't just postpone it. Don't delay it. Kill it. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I want to pause here. I need to be clear, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. You cannot tell me, well, it's just the way I am. That's an excuse. You weren't created that way. You say, well, I just can't help it, that's who I am. No, no, that's, that's what the world is giving you permission to do. You see, right now, especially, and I fear, I, I don't know, our oldest son's 20 and our youngest son's nine, and I, I have two different fears for both of them. I'm more fearful for a nine-year-old. Because the debates right now are anything that doesn't make you happy can't be right. And I've got, he's got a dad who's going to tell him holiness is more important than happiness because you'll never be happy until you're holy. And that's not wordplay. But when you build your life on being happy, the world says if it makes you happy, it has to be right. That's not true. Selfishness makes most of us happy and it'll never be okay. So when Paul develops for us that we belong to the earthly nature, he's saying you have to kill those things. It's it's a choice. It's it's a lifestyle. You have to say no to the things that are earthly to pursue the things that are holy. And and I'm I'm about to walk you through the list. And I I won't belabor it, but I want to tell you this. God does not hate our sin because we got away with something. God hates sin because what it does to the most important thing to him, you and me, It's a warning sign. It's on a poison bottle. It's the it's a warning sign at a railroad crossing. When the lights come down and the arm comes down and it says, Don't cross here, and many of us go, I can do it. Do it. But when you're crushed, it's because of the choice you made. Not because it's your right to go whenever you want to go. To go wherever you want to go and to do whatever you want to do. So for many of us, to put to death the things of the earthly flesh, we have to decide do we want to be holy or happy? And I'll tell you the truth is, you might be temporarily happy, but you'll never understand happiness until you understand the holiness of God. So he says to us, put these things to death, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now I want to pause there in verse six, the wrath of God is coming. Who did he write the letter to? Oh, I forgot, I got to tell you. I'm going to ask you a question, feel free to answer, all right? Who did Paul write this letter to? Believers. He wasn't writing to the outsiders. He was writing to the people who knew who Jesus was. He said, You have to put to death, because the wrath of God will come down on those who know Jesus Christ is and trades him in and ignores his passioned pleas to let us love him. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these: anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Paul goes from the life-giving truth of Jesus to the death-producing realities that many of us have chosen to hold on to. He says, put to death, therefore. Put it away from you. The image we talked about last week, I got a big kick out of first hour. I used this illustration and I had a man walk up to me afterwards and goes, are we going to keep talking about circumcision? No, today's the last day. But the image of circumcision that Paul used last week was the cutting off of a piece of filth and discarding it from the body never to be associated again. So when he says that we need to put off these things, sexual immorality, I don't want to be those guys that talks about them out there, but we're living in a world that is telling you that as long as you're sexually satisfied and nobody else is getting hurt, that you're doing nothing wrong. And I must tell you by the word of God, when you are sexually immoral in any form, You're poisoning yourself. And God's not saying don't do it because he doesn't want you to have a good time. He's saying you are killing yourself, warning. But we say, yeah, but it makes me happy. So kill yourself with happiness. Or put to death the things of the flesh. And I'm scared to death that right now our culture is trying to decide out what is sexually immoral and what isn't when God has already spoken. So drink the poison and ignore the warning, but... God doesn't warn us because he doesn't want us to enjoy ourselves. He warns us because he doesn't want us to kill ourselves, spiritually and physically. The culture day says, well, yeah, you know, I'm just, it's just me, man. I just, it's the one thing I want. It's wrong. Not only is it wrong, it's deadly. Impurity. So if you're sitting here today going, well, I'm not sexually immoral, well, the second one will get all of us. It's when we use the things of God for our own purposes, for our own desires, to make ourselves feel good talks about lust which is looking at another person and it may not be touching them but it's imagining what they could do for you paul says kill that part of you evil desires and greed all of these are idolatry remember all of these are jesus plus this will make me happy paul says no it won't and then he says the those are the the big ones right you look at those and you go yeah okay what about the other ones he says, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. Anger and rage are twins. Anger is the, inter, uh, the internal feeling of injustice and mistreatment. It's the thing that boils in you. How could they do that to me? And rage is the expression of it. So most of us in our culture, it's okay that you're angry, just don't show it. And we feel like controlling your anger. No, Paul says, get rid of your anger. How do you do that? You forgive. You show kindness. Jesus said you turn the other cheek. You love those who hate you and persecute you because if you love like the world, who benefits from that? You see, he's calling us malice as an attitude of mind toward another person to injure them or cause them harm. Slander. Reproachful language directed toward another person. Filthy language. If I understand the Greek language effectively here, what Paul is telling us is not just saying bad words, it's saying bad words about other people. And lying. You see, these sins that Paul defines, he says they should be no part of the church. They should be no part of the new life. Why walk around with the bottle that was poisoning you? Get rid of the bottle. Get rid of the sexual immorality. Get rid of the anger toward another person. Get rid of these things because it's killing you. And I think if I know human nature well, having been one for 40 plus years, some of you are going, I've tried. And there's our mistake. We try to do it by manpower instead of by spirit power. And the promise of Jesus is not that you can fix yourself. The promise of Jesus is having broken ourselves, he's the only one who can create us. And he doesn't just patch the cracks, he makes us brand new. So with the new, why attach the old? Why go look for the old flesh that's been thrown away and try to add it back to the new life? So Paul tells us to put on a new life and put away death. He said, get rid of all the things you're holding on to and, and grab the new life and put away death. It's a choice we get to make. And the choice is to submit to Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit and he will guide us. And this is scary for some of us because there's not a to-do list and a to-don't list. And we've always lived our Christianity by, I don't do these things anymore, yay me, And Jesus said, no, no, today I may ask you to go here and tomorrow I may ask you to sit still. Do you trust that I'll lead you well? This is what he seeks. Verse 10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, pause. If you're feeling right now that God hates you, that you're in a sexual relationship right now, you have no business being in and you know it and you don't know how to get out of it and you're scared to death that it comes public and you have all these fears and anxieties and you sit here today, I need you to hear the words of verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, God does not sit in heaven looking down with you at disgust. He's just begging you to stop drinking the poison. He's begging you to run to new life and hope. He's not sitting up there in judgment because when he judges, it will be final and it will be deadly for many and life-giving for others. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sounds like Jesus. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse five, put to death. Verse eight, rid yourselves. Verse 10, put on. I looked at the language and it's interesting. In the, the verbs that Paul uses, to put on and to put off, is a one time event. Make a decision to no longer carry around the poison that was killing you. Discard it, be done with it. And then he says to put on by the renewing of your mind with knowledge, and that is not a period or exclamation point, that's a comma. Every day. Every day I awaken in the flesh to look at my life and make a choice. Do I want to put on Christ and and go deeper into the knowledge of who he is so that I can grow closer in submission and service? Or do I want to go back to the old things, find the old decayed flesh, and try to climb back inside? Paul says, put on and put off. This is kind of a, in fact, I was a little embarrassed when it came out of my mouth first hour, but it was funny, I went back into the green room and the musicians and singers and some staff were back there and the guys were like, hey, it was okay. And the girls were like, we loved it. And because women are better creatures, I decided I'll do it again. I'm a real simple guy. And the easiest way for me to illustrate this is putting on and putting off is not, it's not Cinderella of putting on a new dress, taking a shower and going to the ball. It's more like a frog being kissed by a princess to become a prince. That's what the Holy Spirit can do that you and I can't. Most of us, our Christianity, if we're honest with one another, we've just put on new clothes and tried to go to the ball, hoping no one recognizes the old me, when in the truth, what the Holy Spirit does is he kisses a frog and turns it into a prince or a princess, and I'm thankful to Jesus he offers us that. You sit here today going, I have tried so hard, Mark, I want to be a better person, you don't have the ability within yourself to be a better person. You have to be a new person and only the blood of Jesus Christ offers you that. It's really that clear. Paul said it in Romans 8, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. It's a challenge for all of us. You have received when you walked in the room a colored piece of paper on your chair. Put on Put off. This is a prayer card. It's been powerful all morning long. Uh, we didn't know if the church would play the game, but it's beautiful because what we'd ask you to do on the back of that card on the, on the other side of enough, if you believe Jesus is enough, then we're going to ask you to, to write two things on this card. What do you desperately desire that the Spirit of God will allow you to put off? And what would you beg Him to help you put on? And as you write those things, and as we sing here in just a few moments, as you can tell, uh, we're asking people to come up here and together, let's lay our prayers before our God. And you don't have to do this. This is, this is not a legalistic thing. If you don't do it, you don't love Jesus. No, this is a corporate thing. Because here's the one thing I know, every one of us needs more Jesus. And some of us are just starting, and some of us are long in the journey. But the truth is, by the power of His Spirit, He can help us put off the flesh and put on life. So what do you know that you need to put off? And what are you begging God to give you so you can put on? It can be one word, it can be a sentence. And as we sing this morning, you can remain seated or you can stand, you can respond however you want. What we're asking you as an act of worship, join with those worshiping with you. And if you're sitting in a big row and you look around and go, oh, I don't want to ask all these people to move. I'm going to be honest. I'd climb over every one of you to get to Jesus. Because when I need to get rid of something, he's my only hope. And so this morning, elbow him and say, do you mind? Uh, I'd like to go, I'd like to ask God to help me today. Become the person he created me to be. As we sing about our Jesus, don't give up your freedom. Live the new life.